This is the Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors Podcast, sponsored by Bemidji State University and Northwest Technical College. The Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors Podcast is also sponsored by Visit Bemidji. Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors covers the lakes, woods, trails, wildlife, and anything else going on outdoors in Paul Bunyan's playground. I think most people probably realize that the Minnesota DNR is a lot more than just walleyes and deer. In fact, there are six divisions of the Minnesota DNR. Ecological and Water Resources, Enforcement, Fish and Wildlife, Forestry, Lands and Minerals, and Parks and Trails. Today, we take a look at all of them. Teresa Ebengay, the Minnesota DNR Northwest Regional Director, is in to talk all things outdoors on the Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors Podcast. But first, if you love the outdoors and are looking for ways to align your education with future employment in the trades, Northwest Technical College in Bemidji is for you. Explore state-of-the-art technical education in six career paths, automotive, building trades, business, health, child care, and manufacturing technology, all in the heart of Minnesota's Northwoods, surrounded by more than 400 lakes and, of course, limitless forests. The shortest path to your dream job and a good bite is at NTC, Bemidji's Technical College. Learn more today. Visit ntcmn.edu. This is Dick Beardsley, and this is Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors. Well, today on Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors, we are going to talk a lot about the Minnesota DNR because we have Teresa Ebengay with us. She's the Northwest Regional Director. Teresa, welcome back to the show. Well, thank you very much, Kev. I really appreciate the opportunity. There's a lot of things we can certainly cover with the Northwest Regional Director. So many divisions. We'll get into that. But first of all, uh, how long have you been uh, in in your position here? So I've been um, the Regional Director since August of 2019. So prior to me, it was Rita Albright, which I'm sure many of your listeners uh, know Rita very well. How did you find your way or make your way to uh, to the Bemidji Northwest Regional Office? So um, I came from the Federal Bureau of Reclamation, and I wanted to get back to Minnesota because Minnesota is my home. I was born in Worthington, Minnesota, and raised uh, just south of Fargo, North Dakota. And Minnesota was always my playground growing up, you know, fishing and hunting. um, And I just love the state. So I decided to come back and and return to my roots. Uh, I was hired as a... um, regional environmental assessment ecologist uh, in 2015, and then kind of went up the ranks from there. I ended up being an assistant regional manager for ecological and water resources, a division we'll talk about here in a little bit. And then from there, um, I got my job as regional director. Okay. And, uh, you know, I mean, when you're in fish and wildlife, I mean, you got a very focused area. Your job is very broad. What, 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 what do you do? What do you have to deal with on a daily basis? Oh, thank you. Yes, that's it's very complicated. So my job as regional director entails overseeing the operations of all seven divisions. There's seven divisions in DNR um, for the whole northwest corner of the state. And I'm kind of the eyes and ears of the commissioner of DNR out here in, in this region. Um, I can deal uh, with things from flooding to drought to fires, to timber harvest, to, you know, fisheries management, to, you know, wildlife issues such as chronic wasting disease on a daily basis. It's a wide, wide variety of uh, information that I do. I also work a lot with legislators and counties um, on several of these issues. Okay. Yeah, there, there, there are a lot of things to oversee. That's, that's for sure. 
Let's talk about some of these divisions. Uh, let's start with uh, ecological and water resources. And again, lots of these, you say them, they're kind of self-explanatory, but let's get a little bit more into it. So ecological and water resources, obviously they're dealing with water, but, but what specifically? <laughs> yeah, ecological and water resources is one of our broadest divisions um, within DNR. They actually have 38 different programs within Ecological and Water Resources Division in and of itself. We The, the Ecological and Water Resources Division, um, like you said, deals with water uh, is one of the topics. So we do water appropriations permits. We do work in public waters uh, where if you're going to go and, and like do shoreline um, improvements. Uh, we give permitting for that. Um, if you're going to build a well, like an irrigator is going to build a well, they um, appropriate the water for that well and make sure that th- that well is not interfering with other people's wells. Uh, so that's kind of all the water stuff. But they also do th- on the natural resources end, they work with all of the non-game species. So um, for example, uh, swans and loons and uh, all of those threatened and endangered species within uh, the state of Minnesota. So they oversee all of that, too. So they do a wide variety of, of topics. So, uh, yeah, the non-game wildlife was something I was going to ask. Where, is that, where does that fall in? That's where it falls in, on the That's ecological ex- side. Yep, okay. exactly. You know, and I think when you think about non-game wildlife, I think there's a couple of aspects there that, that are key to us. We all love going out on the deck in the morning, hearing the birds, seeing the birds at the feeder, watching the deer go by your yard. I think even if you're not into hunting or fishing or anything like that, that's just part of being in Minnesota. So that is uh, that is one of those things that we want to have healthy, right? Yes, very much so. And, and the way that we do that is through our non-game program. Um, we actually, there's a couple of different ways that Minnesotans can help with this. One is, I know it's past tax season, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but but on your taxes, um, there's a little checkbox that you can check and actually donate directly to our non-game um, uh species and and help those those species along. We also have volunteer programs such as uh watching uh loons and and where are the loons located? How are they doing? Um are they do they have nests in the lakes that you're next to? And we also have uh swans um monitoring swans and Minnesotans can help with that. We also have uh, what's called our scientific and natural areas, and these are areas specifically set aside for those threatened, endangered, and highly sensitive species here in Minnesota to preserve those for future generations. What are some that are endangered right now? One that um, has been talked about a lot recently is um, the long-eared bat, um, northern long-eared bat, and that was just put on the federal endangered species list. And so, again, that's that's one species that we are very concerned about here because of a disease called the white nose syndrome. So that one we definitely would like to preserve. Um, on the plant end, we have several orchid species that are endangered that we also um, are in this area and a lot of our bogs in this area. And we like to preserve those for the future too. And I think one of the things that, you know, the more I do interviews with people in the DNR and the things that go on uh, under the water and things like that, but even, you know, in the forest, um, these species, even though they're not, you know, the, the things we're thinking about for hunting and fishing, everything affects the ecosystem. It's a domino effect if one goes 
it has negative effects throughout the entire ecosystem generally. Yes, exactly. The whole web of life. And um, if we lose one of these species, it does have a chain effect throughout the whole ecosystem. And so many people think, oh, wow, it's just like an insect. It's just a butterfly. How is that going to affect things? Well, butterflies, they're pollinators. And so if you don't have those pollinators there to pollinate the plants, then the plants won't grow. Well, if you don't have the plants, then you don't have the animals to eat the plants and so on and so forth. So it can actually collapse a whole web if we don't have those species in place. And speaking of pollinators, I mean, we've heard a lot about honeybees over the last years. What is our situation in Minnesota regarding that? We um, are getting better, but we still have a long way to go. We have had a real emphasis on pollinator habitat here. We have several programs now um, to help build up that those those pollinator species again. So the bees are doing a little bit better, but we still have a long way to go. Okay. And if you want, if you want to have a healthy garden, you got to have pollinators. Yes, yeah. you do. Okay. Let's go back to water resources for a moment. You know, obviously lakes and rivers, but I'm assuming this is also we're talking groundwater um, and and every other kind of water system in Minnesota. Correct? Yes, correct. So our water appropriations they cover surface water and groundwater. And surface water can include lakes, it can include streams, it can include bogs. And the groundwater are all those aquifers that are underneath the ground in which a lot of um, rural America has their uh, domestic wells uh, Mm -hmm. located in in groundwater here in Minnesota. So we need to make sure that um, irrigators, the farmers, they can have water that's sustainable, but that they, the water use that they are, are getting through the groundwater doesn't interfere with those domestic wells. So that is a big task that our Ecological and Water Resources Division does. Well, certainly we've heard a lot about the water resources in the Southwest with huge droughts and lots of concerns there. Are there any big concerns up here? Where are we at in, in Northwest Minnesota and in Minnesota in general? Yeah, um, in general, we're okay, but there are definitely areas uh, within the state that we do have concerns with our groundwater. For example, in Red Lake and Polk counties in the northwest region, some of the groundwater supplies there are diminishing, and we are seeing more and more what are called well interferences in those counties. So we need to come up with a system that makes it equitable for all to use those resources and make sure that they are sustainable in the future. Yeah. Um, speaking of the Northwest region, tell us, I mean, it's big. What, what all does it cover? So um, the Northwest region has 23 counties. Um, and I guess I kind of like to relate it to if you go to St. Cloud and go north and west, it's that whole northwest corner of the state. Okay. Um, and it does include all the way to Alexandria, all the way to Moorhead, Minnesota, all the way up to Roseau and Kitson County. So that, that it's a huge, huge area we cover. And a lot of different types of, of land and, and things to deal with there. Yes, definitely. The other, uh, another one is enforcement. And I think we all, if we've been outdoors at any time, we've probably run into a DNR conservation officer or two. So that's, uh, that's headquartered out of your office for 
this region too, correct? Yes, that's correct. So we have several conservation officers in our region. Our um, regional manager or the the captain here is Phil Seafelt, and he does an amazing job in coordinating all the conservation officers and all of the the issues and concerns that we have here. The conservation officers do just a tremendous job of making sure that the Minnesota statutes are followed, the laws and regulations are followed, so that Again, Minnesotans can enjoy these these um, species and habitats uh, in the future. Um, how many officers are there in, in the Northwest region? Do you know off the top of your head? I do not, unfortunately. I don't have that information That's, with me at the moment. Sorry. I do know that the, there's been concerns in the past. There's been a shortage of officers. Are, where are we at with that right now around the state? We um, are still recruiting on a regular basis uh, every year. In fact, right now, I believe um, there is an open period for uh, officers to to have recruitment opportunities. And we actually have a couple of different programs for that. One, you can do it through the normal law enforcement, making sure you have your law enforcement degree, that type of thing. But we also have a program that if someone just – wants to become a conservation officer, they can apply, and DNR actually trains them. Mm-hmm. So if you just have an interest in it, um, you know, you don't actually have to go through all the law enforcement activities and, and education to, to be one. We will train you. Okay. Uh, fish and wildlife, of course, are, are very... We'll, we'll get into that one later, because those are, those are some biggies. But forestry, obviously, if you're, if you're into hunting, if you're into the outdoors walking through the forest, using those trails, that's all important. And uh, it's economically very important too, right? Very much so. We have thousands and thousands of acres. Again, I don't have that quite in front of me at the moment. I Actually, I do. I have it's uh, 2.1 million acres of DNR-administered lands overall. And um, most of those here in the Northwest region are either forestry lands or um, fish and wildlife-administered lands. And it creates a, a really economic um, value here in the Northwest region because we have such valuable timber here. Yeah, so there's the economic aspect of, of getting the timber out and, and maintaining, and there's the whole point of keeping forests healthy. There's a lot of moving parts when you're dealing with forestry. Yeah, definitely. So we have a plan called our Sustainable Timber Timber Harvest, and this plan provides a stable, quality source of you know timber, wood fiber, for the forest industry here. Um, this is a 10-year plan that we have, and uh, we have a five-year review that's actually taking place this year to see how we're doing with that plan. Um, and overall, uh, we harvest about 870,000 acres of, or not acres, cords of um, timber throughout all of Minnesota, and quite a bit of those come from the Northwest region. What would be some of the big concerns in the forestry world right now? One of the big concerns is climate change. Climate change is having a huge impact on our trees. And um, some of the trees are not being able to adapt as well as they should to some of these climate changing conditions. So what we're doing is we are trying to adapt our forest management practices in order to diversify the forests out there to maintain those healthy forests as we move more and more towards a wetter climate and more um, storm events. Okay. Um, And obviously, the forest is the home to many of your 
uh, wildlife and non-game wildlife species. So it's a very important thing for so many reasons. Very much so. And so we have a robust what we call forest coordination program in which our divisions of fish and wildlife, ecological and water resources, and forestry all get together to talk about these issues and make sure that these forested areas are sustainable, not only for, you know, timber harvest, but also for the multitude and diversity of, of habitat types for the critters out there. I know, you know, we've heard about wildfires in Canada. It's like yeah, almost every summer now. And, of course, a lot of this, some horrible stuff going on out west the last several years during the drought. We had that big drought a couple of years ago, and I, a lot of people were on edge. I think, by and large, we survived that pretty well, right? We did re- very well. Our um, forest firefighting division, or, you know, because the firefighters are part of the forestry division. And our firefighters here are next to none. In 2021, it was a huge year. I mean, it went from early March all the way to September. We, it was nonstop fire season for us that year because it was so so heavily into a drought and we actually had a fire um, just west of Bemidji here and they were incredible the air support that came in the firefighters on the ground and it was within hours that they had this this wildfire out which is very impressive. Yeah, and I mean, when you think about it, there's, there's so many aspects, a lot of people living in, in near forests, and of course the animal species, and if you could, if you wipe out a huge swath of forest, it's a long time to recover from that. Yeah, very much so. They had a very huge one in the northeast corner of the state, um, north of Duluth there, and you can see today still the, the scars on the landscape because of that fire. Yeah. Um, and so... Um, Again, forestry is a very big part of it. Lands and minerals. Um, do we have a lot of lands and minerals issues here? Maybe we, more lands than minerals. I don't know. <laughs> we we do. We oh. we have lots of um, issues. Well, or opportunities actually with our our lands and minerals department here. Minerals probably are more in the northeast part of the state, but here we also have um, non-ferrous minerals such as gravel, and gravel is a big, big industry. And so we also issue permits for for gravel mining. Um, So that's kind of on our minerals end. On our lands end, we are constantly looking at our land portfolio, and we call it the strategic land asset management, to make sure that we have the right lands working for us in the right ways that Minnesota wants us to to, to have. So through um, the land and legacy bills, uh, we, we have a pot of funds that we can go out and purchase lands for purposes of um, creating new habitats, such as our scientific and natural areas and protecting, um, such as hunter access for wildlife management area, and again, habitat and and um, forestry needs throughout the Northwest region. Okay. Um, the minerals, uh, I hear a lot about that in the Northeast, particularly, and that's a, it's a federal issue because it's, uh, it's um, Boundary Waters, which is a na- na- national park, but um, I, I hear a lot about that. So you're right. I think the most of the mineral type stuff, and I suppose iron ore years ago would have been part of that too. So yep. um, it's, a, it's a different a- animal than, than we're used to. But I mean, are there any minerals here that we, we're aware of? There potentially is. Um, we do have exploration for minerals happening here in the Northwest. One is 
gold, believe it or not, that there are some gold resources below some state lands. So we have people actually exploring for those resources. Okay. Gold rush to Minnesota. (laughs) And and parks and trails. that's That's a huge one. I mean, how many millions of people do we get in our parks every year? It's amazing. Millions, yeah. We uh, have just, especially during COVID, our numbers doubled uh, during COVID here yeah. to the to our parks and, and trail systems. Um, we have, of course, the one of the premier parks yes, here in do. the region, <laughs> Lake Itasca State Park. And it, that alone, they get somewhere between 200,000 and a million visitors just in that park alone. Wow. And putting it in the spot, how many parks do we have in the Northwest? I'm sorry about that. <laughs> I, I know we're celebrating the 100th anniversary of Lake Bemidji State Park we this year, are, too. We are. We are. And, yeah, unfortunately, I don't have that number okay. with me there's either. A lot. We've got a lot of state parks in the Northwest region and actually throughout the state of Minnesota. We do. And you mentioned um, Lake Bemidji State Park. And Lake Bemidji State Park is celebrating their 100th anniversary this year. In fact, we just had a beautiful cake that was donated by Marketplace. And it was just incredible, the turnout that we had. And we're going to have another celebration in June. Uh, June 10th. So please come out and visit that beautiful park right here in our backyard. Yeah. You know, and the cool thing about Minnesota, I mean, Minnesota's done, I think, a really interesting and good job of taking the different types of land in the state and, you know, setting it aside as a, as a park. Even, you know, we don't, we think of parks as a certain way up here with all the trees and everything, but even like prairie lands. There's some state parks that are that are basically prairie land, correct, in other parts of the state. Yeah, definitely. One uh, great example is Buffalo River State Park, which is um, just to the east of Fargo-Moorhead. That has a great prairie ecosystem, and they actually have an educational center right there where you can learn all about prairie and the plants and the wildlife that live in that prairie ecosystem. And, of course, uh, trails. Trails often go hand-in-hand hand with parks. A lot of the trails are based or park, go through parks anyway. Um, there's what? There's bike trails. There's walking trails. There's ATV trails. There's ski trails. Am I missing any of the kinds of trails? Yeah, there's snowmobile trails. <laughs> there's equestrian trails. There's, like you said, ATV t- and UTV trails. There's motorcycle trails off, you know, off uh, off-highway vehicle trails. Um, we also have a trail system for highway vehicles, which is not well known. We are working on one right now called Border to Border, which will go from the eastern, northeastern part of our state all the way to the northwestern end of the state, which will be a designated route for um, highway licensed vehicles to, to travel and see those unique places here in northern Minnesota. So you've got basically a road-sized trail for cars to go through. And I'm assuming, you know, we're not going to be going 80 in those. <laughs> no, these um, some of them are on regular, you know, county highways, but some of them are also on forest roads. So they're gravel, and yes, you have to kind of take your time on some of those type of roads. So how do we find out where all these trails are, regardless of what kind of trails we're looking for? So uh, if you go to the DNR website... Um, you can there just Google, you know, trails, and they'll come up with a huge list of trail systems. They all they also have maps that are associated with those trail systems, so anyone can, you know, just just Google it and find it right on our website. 
So like the Paul Bunyan and the Heartland bike trails, are those all state of Minnesota properties? Yes. Okay. Yep, exactly. And uh, man, do they get used. Oh, they do. Uh, yeah, they yeah. do very, very heavily from hikers and bikers. I mean, that was my favorite thing to do is bike on those. I mean, I've biked from Park Rapids all the way to Niswa. I mean, it's just incredible the, the systems that are out there for that. Yeah, I think a lot of people, and I'm, I'm as guilty as anybody, have no idea just how many trails are shooting through the woods and shooting alongside highways that we don't even see. Yeah, there's, you know, the national trails out there, too. We are talking with the Northwest Regional Director of the Minnesota DNR, Teresa Evangay. We'll talk fish and wildlife with Teresa up next. I'm Mike Frisch of Fishing the Midwest, and I'm proud to help Kev Jackson Sound smart on Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors. Hi, this is Dick Beardsley, Bemidji Area Fishing Guide. I'd like to invite you to come to our beautiful town of Bemidji. We've got over 400 lakes in our area teeming with walleye, pike, muskie, bass, and panfish. We're the gateway to the Chippewa National Forest. We've got miles upon miles of biking and hiking trails. Paul Bunyan and Babe the Blue Ox. Fine shops and eateries in downtown Bemidji. Headwaters of the mighty Mississippi at Itasca State Park. Beautiful resorts, hotels, and bed and breakfasts. Visit Bemidji one step further. If you're fascinated by what you're hearing today, Bemidji State University might be the place for you when it comes to college. They're located amid the lakes and forests of the Northwoods, and it's the only place in Minnesota where you can earn a four-year degree in aquatic biology. It's a state-of-the-art program on the shores of Lake Bemidji, giving you high-tech lakeside facilities and ample opportunity for research and a hands-on education. You can choose fisheries biology, aquatic systems, or wetlands ecology. An aquatic biology education at Minnesota's premier Northwoods University. It's the right fit for you. Visit BemidjiState.edu. Hi, this is Nate Blazing with the Nisla Guide League, and you're listening to Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors. Lisa Ebengay is the DNR Northwest Regional Director, and we are talking all things DNR. Let's get into uh, the heavy lifting of fish and wildlife, which is, you know, what we spend, I'd say, about 80% of our shows over the year doing. Uh, and and we'll, we'll start with fish because we're about ready to get into fishing season uh, if we ever get all the ice to melt. But, um, you know, I think the biggest thing that we keep hearing about is AIS. That seems to be the biggest top-of-the-mind concern. There are lots of different AIS, and we're hearing about a lot of them, but really zebra mussels seem to be front and center right now. Yeah, unfortunately, aquatic invasive species is is something that we are very concerned about in in the DNR. Um, it has they ha- very serious economic, environmental, and recreational impacts. Um, and of course, DNR's goal is always to prevent the spread and to prevent new infestation. But we can't do it without a yacht, all of Minnesota uh, helping helping out to clean their boats, drain their boats dry their boats, and not just boats, but kayaks and fishing gear and all of that. That helps with the spread, minimizing the spread of zebra mussels and spiny water flea and all of these other really bad plants for our and, and species for our environment. What do you say to people who say, we're losing this battle and there's nothing we can do about it? I say there is something we can do about it. You know, just like I said, make sure that you know where your recreational vehicles have been make sure that they're cleaned make sure that they're drained and dried um and and if you see something a new invasive species let us know right away so that we can tackle it before it gets out of control it it seems to me that 
there's been more success dealing with the plant-based AIS and being able to clear that out than, than the living organisms. It's hard to chase down all those living organisms. <laughs> it is, you know, the zebra mussels, especially yeah. with the, the little villagers, the, the little babies that you can't even see. They're microscopic or the spiny water flea. You can't see them with a the naked eye. So how do you know that you're transporting them from one place to another? Whereas with a plant, they're a lot easier to see and you can, you know, scrape the seeds off of your, your shoes as you're hiking. You can make sure that all of the weeds are cleared off your boat, that type of thing. So, yeah, we definitely have to be more diligent with, with the animals than the plants. Well, I mean, besides AIS, what, what are some of the bigger concerns in the fisheries world right now? I know, you know, we, we have the uh, panfish uh, regulations, a nice plan in place to try to get those numbers uh, or make those fish larger. Um, are there any um, concerns about populations of species out there right now or not? We, we are always looking at our populations. We uh, monitor on a regular basis. There are some lakes, such as um, Lax, where the walleye species have, have been uh, depleted quite a bit, but we are growing those back again. So this year, for example, I believe they're going to allow people to actually you know take one or two of the, the walleye again this year out of Malax. So that's a good thing. Um, in Red Lake also, for example, we there was a time where the population of walleye had crashed and those are now doing tremendous. In fact, they're increasing the limit uh, in Red Lake. So we're, we're working on those issues. Um, I love the, the the aggressive stance taken with the panfish um, initiative. Um, you know, obviously, I always tell the uh, biologists when I talk to them, you guys are not into instant gratification. You couldn't possibly be a biologist and do that because everything you're doing is you're looking 10 years down the road before you even see anything. But from what I'm hearing from anglers and those in particular who are very concerned about panfish, the early results seem to be pretty good as to what's going on with the with that initiative that seems to be, and again, it's very early, but it seems to be doing what it's supposed to be doing. Exactly, exactly. And we're really monitoring the populations. We're monitoring to see how effective our regulations on panfish um, have on the effect of those populations moving forward. And then we use an adaptive management process to make sure that um, to, to tweak that one way or another, depending on what the results are year to year with our monitoring. Okay. Um, yeah, everything's complicated, that's for sure. But and, and, every, and the thing that's really, really challenging, I would assume, is, and we're seeing this in the way regulations are being sent out, is um, every system is different and you have to have different, you know, we're finding out it probably makes sense to have different rules for different lakes. It's a little bit complicated. Fortunately, with these little phone things we have, we can find, we, before we even get to the lake, we can see exactly what to do and what, what's legal, right? Yes, exactly. Our regulations are now online. So like you said, you can pop them up on, on your, your phone. The other thing, too, is that we are going to be modernizing the way that our licensing is, is being done. So we're going to eventually have an app for that where yeah. we can just get licensing right through the app. So we just, um, that announcement just came out here on April 24th and we're, con- we're hopefully we'll continue with that process and hopefully have it up and running by 2025 or so. Okay. Yeah, there's, uh, and, and of course, there's so many different species. I mean, I think I love what uh, what we're doing with northerns, trying to get that going. Yes. Uh, muskies is, is a complicated one, and uh, 
pretty much everybody puts back muskies now. I mean, that's pretty much, I don't hear many people keeping muskies anymore. Yeah, uh, it, it has created quite a controversy in some of our lakes where we would love to increase the muskie population in several of our lakes, but there are also consequences or, or you know, pen- potential effects of uh, stocking muskies in, in different lakes. So we have to really take a careful look at, at how all of those ecosystem management uh, goes with, with stocking muskies. But I know that muskies are so fun to catch because <laughs> I love it. I love it. So, you know, fishing is, is one of my, my passions and pastime. And I'm so looking forward to the walleye fishing opener. Like you said, hopefully crossing our fingers that the ice will be off the lakes by then. Um, I have a kayak, fishing kayak, and I just love to go out in my kayak and, and fish from the kayak. And, I, you know, it, it's just one of my favorite things to do. Well, you, you know, maybe you can fish from your kayak at the opener, but you might have to have an auger, too. I mean, just, <laughs> I don't know. That's true. Um, so I, I, there had been a push um, for a standardized four-fish walleye limit statewide. Um, and that's kind of faded in the background a little bit. Where, where are we at with that? And how does the DNR feel about that? We like to manage um, a little bit more specifically lake by lake because every lake is different. Um, more lakes can handle more walleyes than other lakes. And so to have a one size fits all doesn't seem to me that it it would be effective. And if we can have more management and, and control over management of different lakes, uh, my opinion is that would be better. I know that, uh, you know, anglers are smarter. They get more information with social media. They have better equipment. Certainly electronic equipment has changed. Are there any serious concerns about that as far as uh, what it's doing to fish populations? There are some that have been raised um, with a, you know, more sophisticated radar and sonar equipment. Uh, and and how how is that working with um, the finding the fish and you know, getting the fish and taking the fish. Um, so we are also looking at that very seriously as to to what those resources are and, and tools are, are are doing to the fish populations. Um, another one that was brought up uh, at our last um, coordination meeting was wake boats and what are wake boats doing to the ecosystem out there um, on our lakes. So those are all issues that we are struggling with right now. I don't know if I would say it's it's the most important thing for the DNR, but I just based on license sales, based on marketing this the way the state markets itself, I mean fishing's got to be near the top of the uh, of the concerns, right? Yeah, fishing is definitely one of those that we um, that there's great opportunities here in the state, but there are also many issues that we need to be concerned with and keep our eye on that ball and make sure that the populations are headed in the right directions, that the habitat is headed in the right directions, again, given climate change. Now moving on to the wildlife, uh, when when, uh, walleye season ends, uh, deer hunting season begins, and we've got lots of of hunting season certainly, but obviously uh, like the walleye is to fish, the deer is to hunting. Uh, It's the biggie. And obviously, we've got a big concern up here, um, CWD. We sure do. Chronic wasting disease is, is no joke. And unfortunately, this last year, we had two p- 
positive deer just south of Bemidji here that had chronic wasting disease. Um, the the thing is, is there's a lot of times you can't even tell when a deer has chronic wasting disease uh, and until they're, you know, tested or killed and tested. Um, and now that, though, it's out in the wild and we know it's out in the wild here, how do we control the populations and, and, and control the spread of that, you know, chronic wasting disease? Well, I know that, uh, you know, if you're fishing in this area or fishing, if you're hunting in this area now and you get a deer, you know, you got to get it tested, right? Correct. In certain, certain of the zones here. Um, so what about, though, um, the day-to-day things people do? I know there's a big concern about feeding deer because they intermingle and it could be a big problem. Right. So now that um, the the deer permit area around Bemidji is called Deer Permit Area 184, this deer permit area now is going to be classified as a management zone. So it's actually going to have the number six instead of the number one in front of it. What that means is there's new regulations that are going to take place. Like you said, uh, one thing is there will be mandatory testing, especially on that first weekend of opening deer hunting. All deer will need to get tested within 184. Two, there is going to be what's called a feeding and attractant ban. Basically, this means that uh, folks here in this region, they're not going to be able to put out their, their feed for the deer, you know, the salt licks, uh, anything that would attract deer to come together in a herd. The one way that CWD spreads is through saliva and feces. Um, it, it's a protein, basically, that, that is spread through through those, those liquids um, in, in the deer. And so we don't want the deer coming and congregating together because of the, of the chance of spreading CWD is, is greater. So those are a couple of things that we will be doing. A third is that we will probably also be having special hunts now. So there, there's going to be greater opportunity for people to take more deer in this area because we want to monitor those populations and make sure that, you know, the deer herds here remain healthy. Okay. Um, overall populations, uh, how do we feel about the deer populations in the northwest region? Pretty stable, um, actually. We we have had not very many concerns. Now, this last winter was a little harsh on them, so I don't think the numbers are in quite yet from, from uh, the monitoring. But this year, with all of the deep snow that we had, was was pretty harsh on them. So we'll see what happens this next year. Okay. Um, other species, like, uh, for instance, um, geese and ducks, I mean, that's something you can try to ha- create friendly infrastructure for them but other than that you have to work with pretty much everybody else that the ducks and geese are flying through because they don't just stick around here they're they're going lots of places so it's it's a that's going to be a i think maybe even a multi-nation effort right to to try to maintain those populations yeah definitely we work with u.s fish and wildlife service we work with you know states uh, near us and all the way through the Mississippi fly zone um, on populations for ducks, geese, all of those um, species, game species that are, you know, on the wing. Yeah, and all we can, and one of the main things we can do, and I talk to Ducks Unlimited people about this all the time, speaking of water resources, wetlands. Try to protect the wetlands. Yes. That's like huge, right? Exactly. And we work with Ducks Unlimited. We work with Pheasants Forever. We work with the Nature Conservancy to help preserve uh, those 
those lakes and streams that are uh, of high quality for our, our um, waterfowl species. Okay. Other other great things that we have going on here are, um, you know, uh, turkey. Uh, what a success story that has been, right? Oh, my gosh. I mean, I see turkey everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we both have a spring and a fall hunt for, for turkey now, and it's it's amazing to see those, them them out there and flourishing and giving providing those those great opportunities for hunters people love turkey hunting and i think in particular they really love spring turkey hunting because it's that first time you can get outside even probably before you can go fishing right yeah and it's been it's been very very popular very popular and very successful yeah you, you know you just can't barely go down a road without seeing turkeys on the side of the road now and that uh was not the case even 10 years ago no that that's very true um, so what are we doing? I mean, other than introducing them into our area, is there anything specifically we're doing habitat-wise to help, or are they just uh, hardy birds? They're just pretty much hardy birds. Um, they really have expanded their range pretty much on their own. I don't think DNR has – we have not you know, transported them or translocated them at all. So they their range has just been expanding all by themselves. And we get – Certainly have some grouse up here. Um, I, I can't even keep tabs on everything you can hunt up here. But uh, the one thing we don't have a lot of right here, but I, I know we have in parts of the northwest region, is pheasant hunting. Pheasant hunting probably a little bit further south, right? Yeah, a little bit further south, a little bit further west. Um, the Again, pheasants, though, are expanding their range a bit. So we are seeing more and more of them up here, just not to those levels yet where hunting is much of a success. Okay. I want to go back to... Uh, fishing for a minute just to, to, to note that um, in the in the Red River Basin and over at Red Lake now we're we're, we're, we're trying to bring sturgeon back that's yeah, pretty exciting it is very exciting and in fact in the Red River Valley we had sturgeon spawning for the first time in a very very long time this last year and it was just so exciting to see that these these natural populations are coming back so um, we're continuing to collect eggs continuing to put them back into river systems and we're continuing to modify the habitat by taking out dams or putting in fish passage for for these species um, we have connected so many rivers um, that flow back into the red uh, the, these last couple of years and our fisheries I, I can't thank them enough for all of the hard work that they've done to do that it's uh it looks like it's going to be another success story down the road definitely definitely and we're we're having more and more successes every year Teresa have I missed anything um, let's see here. Uh, one thing that I would like to talk a little bit about is our wolf management. Oh, so, okay. yeah. yes, that's, that's, that's something. Yeah. That's something, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. So we, we, um, have produced our wolf management plan. It came out in December of 2022. We had a tremendous input by all of Minnesotans in all sorts of, um, you know, genres here in the state. And I think the, the wolf management plan is, is really good. If you haven't read it, please go online and, and take a glance at that. Um, we still, of course, the, the wolves are still listed under the Federal Endangered Species Act. And so we won't be, you know, having any managed hunts for for a while. Um, and there's a big process that this while this wolf management plan lays out as to how we potentially would look at having a hunt in the future. Okay. 
Um, what is your biggest challenge on a day-to-day basis? Um, that's a really good question. I just I, – I go through so many issues every day, and I think it's just trying to keep track of what issue is happening when and, and how to um, resolve some of those issues. And again, we can't do it without Minnesotans out there. We need your input. So when, you know, we're always asking for input on our deer populations, on wolf management, for example, on fisheries issues. So if you get a chance, please go online and, and give us your input on those, those very precious resources that Minnesota has. There's a lot of people that work in the Northwest region. When you think about all these uh, different divisions and all the things going on, uh, how many people are in, uh, in employed by the Northwest uh, region? We have over 600-plus employees here um, throughout the region, and it takes uh, just a wonderful workforce that we have to, to keep up on all of these issues that we have here. And I can't praise our staff enough. They are just amazing. They're out there on the front lines working on CWD, working on fisheries issues, working on water appropriations and, and you know, well interferences on a daily basis, um, working with our legislators to make sure that we have funding opportunities to, to provide for all of these opportunities into the future. Given that, I'd like to talk also a little bit about For the Outdoors. For the Outdoors is a funding uh, program that we have that um, is four steps in four years. The commissioner's office has put this together, and it's going to hopefully optimize our current use of funding, um, explore use and application fees, increase opportunities for direct support, and hopefully secure stable and predictable funding in the future. Okay. Um, It's interesting. I I, I just want to point this out because, you know, people all have their own interests and everything, but one of the things, and I've interviewed a ton of people in the DNR over the years, and almost every one of them has the same story you did. Grew up fishing and hunting, grew up in the outdoors, love the outdoors, want to have good fishing and hunting. Um, they're, they're your allies, and they, they are deeply concerned, and that's how they get into this field to begin with. I don't think there's anybody I've ever talked to who said, well, you know, I was pretty good at science. I mean, no, there was, there was that initial passion to be in the outdoors. Definitely, and all of our staff have that, from me to the commissioner, Commissioner Stroman, all the way, you know, down to um, the maintenance crews at the park. We all have passion for the outdoors and for maintaining and making sure that these resources are available for Minnesotans, not only today, but for many, many future generations to come. Okay. Final thought for everybody who's listening, getting ready for fishing or, or any aspect of the outdoors. What's your final thought? What's your final plea to the people of Minnesota. Get involved if you can. We have so many opportunities here for Minnesotans to get involved. You can volunteer. Volunteer at our scientific and natural areas. Volunteer with our wildlife management um, and our non-game for loon and and swans. Um, Support, again, your non- game uh with with your taxes um read the for outdoor for the outdoors report and and there are also opportunities to become uh community rain hail and snow monitors and lake monitors um there's webinars out there on the site and i know that all of minnesota so appreciate the opportunities and we want to continue those opportunities in the future 
Talking all things Northwest Minnesota Outdoors with the Northwest Regional Director of the Minnesota Department of Natural Resources, Teresa Ebbingay. Teresa, it was great having you in today. Great conversation. Thanks for taking the time. Thank you so much, Kev. I want to remind you that in Bemidji on KBUN Sports Radio 104.5, we're going to go to five days a week now, which means there's going to be a whole lot more podcasts for you to listen to. So be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any of the great interviews we have coming up. We're going to be talking fishing for the next 20 weeks, five days a week on KBUN Sports Radio 104.5 and on the podcast. And, of course, we'll still be here every Saturday morning for our listeners on Kick FM in Alexandria and B93.3 in Brainerd Baxter. But if you want all those extra interviews, be sure you subscribe to the podcast. That's it for now. Again, I'm Kev Jackson. Thanks for checking in on the podcast. Bob Barn, yeah. Country. Country.